Welcome to Centuries of Sound. This section of the 1940 mix is a sound collage of original broadcasts and recordings from 1940. The spoken word sections largely concern the war. The music is mainly stereo recordings made by Leopold Stotowski for the movie Fantasia. This is a departure from the largely music-centric format you may be used to. If you enjoy this, please consider becoming a supporter at patreon.com slash centuriesofsound. The regular tier for mixed downloads is just $5 per month. If you can't join, then why not share this audio collage with someone who may be interested? I produce centuries of sound on my own in my spare time, and the more support I have, the more time I can dedicate to it. Thanks for listening. I knew you'd like the enemy. He's the person may pen in plastic fashion a new verse on the Hilden label and colossized lot, or with his pen put pen clubs on the spot. He knows to live comes first. No bee in his bonnet outbuzzes any other that lands on it. His balance is astonishing when you consider he has never sold himself to the highest bidder, never has lived a week for 20 summers free of the drum fire of the camouflaged gunners, never has eaten a meal that was undramatic without the next being highly problematic, never succumbed to panic, cultus blut, his watchword, facing ahead in untroubled mood. He has been his own bagman, critic, cop, designer, publisher, agent, charman, and shoe shiner. What he has just narrated of double dealing is nothing to what he could of professional stealing, of the betrayal of unpublished texts to ladies of Quaddy Day, and other crimes. His fate is, of course, to be a quarry of rich pickings. He's the bullseye of brain pickers like the Dickens. Of unwelcome names, blue penciled in an article, caught in the act and minding not a particle. We suffer from a strange delusion, uh, that is, that our age is straighter than was granddaddy's, of that discrimination against all writers suspected of having eyes in their heads. Good fighters, when driven in corners, are common, but here's a fellow who does not wait to be trapped, an aggressive fellow. I was sure you'd like him, and that was why I brought him. It was a piece of luck it happened that I caught him. natural thing to do until you're right up against it. So it ceases to be a game. And then it ceases to be a game. Then in April, Hitler experienced his first real defeat at Nazi. Captain Warburton Lee led his destroyer flotilla into action, resulting in the immediate destruction of four German destroyers. Three others fled, but were pursued, engaged, and destroyed. The Royal Navy, besides turning the Norwegian fjord into a graveyard of Hitler's warships, effectively closed this door through which the Germans obtained their supplies of Swedish iron ore. Great could have cheered them in. Mr. Winston Churchill knows today that he has no longer any chance of repeating his exploits of Sydney Street, Antwerp, Gallipoli, and Murmansk. That versatile and agile amateur strategist 
is at last up against a leadership and a defense force of a people keyed up to a maximum of activity and having achieved the acme of technical perfection. They do not have to discuss the Blitzkrieg as a theoretical problem because they are the human embodiment of that cleansing atmospheric phenomenon, the thunderstorm. German motorized troops and tanks which crossed the German-Danish frontier near Flensburg and Tondern at 5.15 a.m. this morning are now on their way north via Apenrade and Esbjerg. During the evening of April the 8th, German Heinkel bombers again attacked British naval forces lying at anchor in Scapa Flow with considerable success. Two capital ships amongst them a battleship were severely damaged by bombs. Three further heavy units were considerably damaged by explosions which occurred in the immediate see another spring as long as I live.
German blitzkrieg against the Low Countries seems to have met with only very moderate success. Both Dutch and Belgians are resisting fiercely, and the Belgians have already been, been reinforced by strong mechanized columns of British and French troops from the Western Front, responding to the call for help sent out by both small nations after they were invaded. The Dutch and Belgian high commands tonight flatly say the invasion has failed. The German invasion was preceded by swarms of air raiders who attacked first, following the precedent set in Poland, Dutch and Belgian airfields, and also bombed far and wide over France. More than 20 French cities, ranging from Dunkirk and Calais on the Channel to Lyon in the south, were raided. And while apparently here, too, airfields, or in some cases radio transmitters, were the primary objective, the French government said that more than 50 civilians were killed. Raids on Paris and on the mouth of the Thames seem to have been purely for reconnaissance. But incendiary bombs were dropped on a town in southeastern England. Winston Churchill has replaced Neville Chamberlain as British Prime Minister and will form a coalition cabinet. Its membership has not yet been announced, but Chamberlain will stay in it somewhere. Resigning, Chamberlain said that new and drastic action must be taken to restore confidence. The French Premier Reynaud took into his cabinet the prominent extreme conservatives Louis Marin and Jean Ibarnagarai. Principal centers of the parachute attack today were Rotterdam and The Hague. Swarms of parachute troops were dropped there through the day, and the Germans still hold part of Rotterdam, including the Valhaven Airport. This was heavily bombed again by British planes and apparently is of little use as a landing field. But our correspondent Edwin Hartrich reported earlier that many Germans had got into Rotterdam on merchant ships under the Swedish flag. And hard fighting apparently goes on in the downtown part of the city. The Dutch hold the Hague, but have had to fight not only parachute troops, but Germans in citizens' clothes who have been firing from house windows and this morning made an unsuccessful raid on the police station. I hope that any of my friends and colleagues, or former colleagues, who are affected by the political reconstruction will make all allowances for any lack of ceremony with which it has been necessary to act. I would say to the House, as I said to those who have joined the government, I have nothing to offer but blood, toil, tears, and sweat. We have before us an ordeal of the most grievous kind. We have before us many, many long months of struggle and of suffering. You ask what is our policy? I will say it is to wage war by sea, land and air, with all our might and with all the strength that God can give us. To wage war against a monstrous tyranny never surpassed in the dark and lamentable catalogue of human crime. That is our policy. You ask, what is our aim? I can answer in one word, victory. Victory at all costs. Victory in spite of all terror. Victory however long and hard the road may be. For without victory there is no survival. For the first time as Prime Minister, in a solemn hour for the life of our country, of our empire, 
of our allies, and above all, of the cause of freedom. A tremendous battle is raging in France and Flanders. The Germans, by a remarkable combination of air bombing and heavily armored tanks, have broken through the French defenses north of the Maginot Line, and strong columns of their armored vehicles are ravaging the open country, which for the first day or two was without defenders. My confidence in our ability to fight it out to the finish with the German Air Force has been strengthened by the fierce encounters which have taken place and are taking place. Side by side, the British and French peoples have advanced to rescue not only Europe, but mankind from the foulest and most soul-destroying tyranny which has ever darkened and stained the pages of history. Find them, find us, find the armies and troops of Britain and France, gather a group of shattered states and bludgeon great races, the Czechs, the Poles, the Norwegians, the Danes, the Dutch, the Belgians, upon all of whom the long night of barbarism will descend, unbroken even by a star of hope, unless we conquer, as conquer we must, as conquer we shall. Ten months after the outbreak of war came the colossal military disaster culminating in the blazing hell of Dunkirk. Belgium had capitulated, the first French army was broken and the full force of Germany was hurled against the ever-narrowing, ever-contracting appendix within which the British and French armies fought. Day and night we struggled through to the beaches, staving off what might have been complete annihilation. Then by a miracle of deliverance achieved by valor, perseverance and perfect discipline, the enemy was held and even hurled back. The RAF engaged and battered the main strength of the German Air Force, while the Navy, using nearly 1,000 ships of all kinds, carrying over 335,000 men, French and British, out of the jaws of death. Station Bremen 1, Station Bremen 2, together with DJB on the 19-meter band. You are about to hear a talk. But the very attempt has produced British casualties of a shocking magnitude. On Wednesday, 60 British ships engaged in this operation were hit by bombs and 31 were sunk. And today...
Of course, this unprecedented slaughter is not called in England by its true name. Mr. Duff Cooper and his friends are describing this monumental defeat as a heroic withdrawal and a magnificent rearguard action. going to be any withdrawal at all, did you think that the necessity for a rearguard action was being contemplated by the dictator of Britain? I did not. Until defeat turned into rout, absolute, the whole world was being told, hour after hour, by the BBC, that the situation was well in hand and fresh victories were served up with every transmission. As the bloody and battered fragments of what was once the British Expeditionary Force drift back in wreckage to the shores of England, it is not impossible that the public will turn savagely upon the men who have so cruelly and unscrupulously deceived it. It is not a little amusing to think of the trumpetings and flourishings with which Churchill became Prime Minister of Britain. He was the man to frighten Hitler. He was the providential leader who was going to lead Britain to victory. Look at him today. This is the complacent policy of indifference to evil. And that policy I cannot but hate. to be concluded at the end of the war. 
and that meanwhile France will be totally disarmed and at least parts of the country occupied, with the channel ports to be used as German bases for the attack on England. A hint as to the general nature of the settlement was given by the German radio in a broadcast picked up by our shortwave listening station an hour or two ago, which said that the voice of pity does not exist anymore in Europe. Last night, the Germans again made extensive air raids over England, Scotland, and Wales and claimed to have damaged docks at Bristol and Southampton, munitions factories at Billingham, and oil tanks at Hull. The terms were handed to the French delegates in the same railroad car where Marshal Foch handed the armistice terms to the Germans in 1918. The car had been moved from the museum in which it was housed to the exact spot a short distance away, which it occupied 22 years ago, and a studied effort seems to have been made to reproduce the conditions of that meeting in reverse. In order... be very careful not to assign to this deliverance the attributes of a victory. Wars are not won by evacuation. We shall go on to the end. We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches, we shall fight on the landing grounds, we shall fight in the fields and in the streets, we shall fight in the hills, we shall never surrender. Upon this battle depends the survival of Christian civilization. 
Upon it depends our own British life and the long continuity of our institutions and our empire.
now engaged in the final stage of our own struggle for independence. Now the Battle of Britain is on. The Germans fling the full weight of their air force against our civilian life. From dusk to dawn they rain high explosive and incendiary bombs in an attempt to terrify us into submission. In this inferno a newborn army wins glory. The national ARP services. Hospitals are not immune in the mad lustful orgy of indiscriminate bombing. Nothing is sacred to the Hun. St. Paul's Cathedral, Wren's masterpiece, received a direct hit when a bomb smashed through the east end of the cathedral and demolished the high altar. The Mother Church of the Empire was twice made a target. The Tower of London became a military objective to the twisted Nazi mind in which love of destruction is inherent. From the very commencement of the Blitzkrieg, the homes of civilians were chosen for Goering's terror tactics. As long as there are historians to record it, the courage and bravery of the British citizens will live forever. No home was inviolate. Buckingham Palace, as much a home as any other, was hit more than once. Our king and queen had not only their own worries, but shared the sorrows and dangers of their devoted subjects. Those were black days indeed in September, but it was the price we had to pay for victory in the air. By superb heroism, our Air Force inflicted smashing blows on the much-vaunted Luftwaffe. In their hundreds, they littered the countryside from north to south, east to west. The RAF won immortal glory as they blasted the air armadas of our unprincipled enemy. Never in the history of human conflict did so many owe so much to so few. We know now that the mass raids of September were to precede actual invasion. But the aerial vanguard of the Nazis lay a twisted mass of metal on our shores. So overwhelming were the defeats meted out by the RAF that space had to be found to accommodate the tons of wrecked enemy aircraft. With superb daring, our lions with wings hit back at Germany's war industries. south side of the city. So we went over and had a look at that. Oh, then you flew across the city? Yes, slapped across the centre. Altogether we spent half an hour checking out on the target, and when we definitely identified it, we dropped, ran up and dropped our bombs. German aircraft had been destroyed in today's raids over this country. Today was the most costly for the German Air Force for nearly a month. In daylight raids, 
between 350 and 400 enemy aircraft were launched in two attacks against London and Southeast England. About half of them were shot down. It was officially announced that by 10 o'clock tonight, 175 raiders were known to have been destroyed by our fighters and anti-aircraft gunners. in the field of human conflict was so much owed by so many to so few. But this period of speculation and uncertainty is not likely to last long. The German technique of the Blitzkrieg is not apt to permit of much delay. But there will probably be no more terrible drama in this whole war, however long it lasts, than that tragic but necessary sinking of the Pink Squadron at Oran. That act was the epitaph of the Anglo-French alliance. Now Britain truly fights alone.
stately, crescent-shaped Regent Street, along Shaftesbury Avenue of theatre fame, into Charing Cross Road, London's Tin Pan Alley, and so to Trafalgar Square. Waiting there is Edward Murrow, known to you as Columbia's European director. Come in, Ed Murrow. is Trafalgar Square. The noise that you hear at the moment is the sound of the air raid sirens. I'm standing here just on the steps of St. Martin's in the Fields. A searchlight just burst into action off in the distance. One single beam sweeping the sky above me now. People are walking along quite quietly. We're just at the entrance of an air raid shelter here, and I must move this cable over just a bit so people can walk in. I can see just straight away in front of me Lord Nelson on top of that big column. There's another searchlight just square behind Nelson's statue. I'll just let you listen to the traffic and the sound of the siren for a moment. Casually, a man stops in front of me to light a cigarette. Here comes one of those big red buses around the corner. Double-deckers, they are. Just a few lights on the top deck. In this blackness, it looks very much like a ship that's passing in the night, and you just see the portholes. There goes another bus. More searchlights come into action. You see them reach straight up into the sky, and occasionally they catch a cloud and seem to splash on the bottom of it. traffic lights here, just a small cross on the normal globe, are now red. The cars pull up and stop. I'll just ooze down in the darkness here along these steps and see if I can pick up the sound of people's feet as they walk along. One of the strangest sounds one can hear in London these days, or rather these dark nights, just the sound of footsteps walking along the street, like ghosts shod with steel shoes. The taxi draws up just in front and stops, just waiting for that red light to change to green while the siren howl. There it goes, and the cars move off. More searchlights are in action. We've not yet seen any burst of anti-aircraft fire overhead. And, of course, this doesn't necessarily mean that there are planes actually over London at this moment. We've had these warnings before, of course. You can hear the sirens just dying away in the distance now. An air raid warden walks out of this shelter. The shelter here, you know, is the crypt underneath this famous old church just on the edge of Trafalgar Square. The crypt where in days of peace homeless men and women were able to find a night's lodging. And just here now, the steps of people coming up into this old church. And so, farewell to Valga Square. And now, after that unexpected air raid warning, we're going to take you to one of London's most ultra hotels, where behind the blackout drapes, men and women are dancing in the main ballroom. We'll see what the effect is over there after the air raid warning.
so, just after the air raid warning is announced, the dancing goes on at the Savoy Hotel. the possibility of liberation for human beings from hard labor. But science itself is not a liberator. It creates means, not goals. I am convinced that a federal organization of the nations of the world is not only possible, but even an absolute necessity. Thank you, Dr. Einstein, for your inspiring message to your chosen country.
is the Midnight News, and this is Alba Liddell reading it. Up to 10 o'clock, 175 German aircraft have been destroyed in today's raids over this country. Today was the most costly for the German Air Force for nearly a month. cheering sights I've seen since the raid started. I've been around the streets most nights on one job or another, but I've never seen anything to equal this shelter for comfort and cheerfulness. All the people come from a nearby block of flats. There's a family atmosphere, and the place looks fine. 
There are flags on the walls and pictures of film stars. And the children have hung paper streamers all around. Along one side, there are chairs and a few tables. And when I went in, all the women were knitting very busily. There was a babble of talk, and most of the children were playing cards. Everybody was laughing and joking. And if there was any noise from outside, they started singing. And their general motto seemed to be, take the notice. File 28 stations reporting that. Message from the fire in Bedette Road. It is a building of five floors, about 150 by 100 feet. It is a general warehouse, well alive. You see this? Order 36 is ladders to commercial street. He wants to return voucher to Kimpton, is it? Kimpton, Kimpton. in Hertfordshire. That's exactly. You just want to go down and see them settled and set up Fire. If you want any clothes, I'll help you with what you want. Are you put it out all right with clothes? Eh? What sort of clothes do you require? Underwear and boots. Underwear and boots. Does that suit you? You've been bombed out and lost all your clothing where you are. Eh? This is your identification card. I think you'd managed to find it. We were just short, weren't we? The uh, Macintoshes are very nice. Come along, dear, because I want to finish up with Mother. anniversary of the fascist march on Rome, Mussolini attacked Greece. On land and sea, the Greeks struck hard and sent the invaders reeling back in confusion. Coventry. From dusk to dawn on a November night, 
the ancient Midland town was mercilessly bombed by wave upon wave of German planes. Again the king went among his heroic people. Ferociously mauled by the bestial Nazis, Coventry's head was bloody but unbound. of our forefathers that built that grand building, I believe that that spirit is with us still and will help us to, to rebuild it one day when we've served and suffered a while a little longer. Build it again to the, to the glory of, of Jesus Christ. Fire Brigade and Auxiliary Fire Services have done and are doing their usual splendid work. But we must leave them free to fight big fires. The country needs you to see that they have as few fires to fight as possible. Many fire parties are already giving the model and the needed help. We need more still everywhere. We must quickly get to the point of organization and readiness we're not a single incendiary, wherever it falls, has the chance to take firm hold.
had to get out and make the wreckage as quickly as we could. We went into a surface shelter where we stayed until the end of the raid. Then the next day we started out and we walked until we got to a little place called Stonely where they put us up for the night. Then two days later we got another house and I'm afraid that was bombed last night so now we're in the same position. St. Paul's Cathedral was the pivot of the main fire. All around it, the flames were leaping up into the sky. There the cathedral stood, magnificently firm, untouched in the very center of all this destruction. As I walked along the streets, it was almost impossible to believe that these fires could be subdued. I was walking between solid walls of fire. Roofs of shops and office buildings came down with a roaring crash. Panes of glass were cracking everywhere from the heat, and every street was crisscrossed with innumerable lengths of hose. Men were fighting the fires from the top of hundred-foot ladders, shot up from the street. Others were pushing their way into the burning buildings, taking the jet to the core of the fire. There was a vast number of men there, and apart from occasionally helping to lay out a hose, I saw that there was nothing I could do to help. And so I went instead to some of the public shelters, they were underground shelters, mostly, and the buildings on top of them were alight. The people had to be got away from them, and got away quickly, and then taken across to the underground station. Sparks were driving down the street like a heavy snowstorm. Obviously, small children couldn't walk across to the station in this, and so some of us went backwards and forwards, carrying them in our arms. I took off my Macintosh and covered them up completely with it. It must have been rather frightening for them to be carried across by someone they didn't know and not being able to see anything. But it was the only way to protect them from those sparks. And by the time we got the last one across, we should have had to do it anyway, because the building above the station was on fire. Luckily, the station escaped, and they were all moved off in train to get food and drink, and then some much-needed sleep. been a tough two months. You have faced it day and night with plenty of courage. Faced it with your chins up and with a grin. I believe that the Axis powers are not going to win this war. I base that belief on the latest and the best information.
German planes dive low over the city as they attack. A new type bomb appears, a 500-pounder with delayed action fuse. Each afternoon, at 5.30, enemy air squadrons would drop incendiary bombs, and by nightfall, whole sections of the city would be blazing. In the fields outside was the most tragic scene I ever witnessed. Seven women had been machine gunned from the air while digging potatoes. These are the faces of a nation besieged. These helpless civilians were the real victims and the unhappy heroes of the War of Sea. May God have mercy on them. My actions, even the follies leading to this disaster, were decreed to happen long ages before this world began. But I cannot remember a night so dark as to have hindered the coming day, or a storm so furious as to prevent the return of warm sunshine and the country at peace. and the wind begins to speak with a roar that no man can fail to hear. In a 40-mile-an-hour gale, the center span weaves like a ribbon in a swinging twist that you wouldn't believe possible unless you could see it as you do now. There's an automobile caught on the heaving roadway. The 11,000-ton center span twists and strains the giant cables that support it cables of 6,300 wire strands, each 17 inches thick. All that I can tell you is that they are going to take me away by plane, oh, like a bird. <laughs> Always have places in the city where birds can get crumbs. Says aren't right. Do I give a bag of beans? Do I stay home every night and read my magazines? Am I frantic? Cause we've lost the spark. Is there panic when it starts turning dark? And when evening shadows creep, 
Do I lose any sleep over you? Do I worry? You can bet your life I do. Do I worry when the Iceman calls? Do I worry if Niagara falls? Though you treat me just like dirt You think I give a snap Are my feelings really hurt When you're sitting in somebody else's lap Am I curious When the gossip flies Am I furious About your little white lies And when all our evenings end Cause you got a sick friend that needs you do I worry honey you know doggone well I do am I fretting cause we've lost the spark is there panic when it starts turning dark and when evening shadows creep Do I lose any sleep over you? Do I worry? You can bet your life I do. I don't want to be a, an emperor. That's not my business. I don't want to rule or conquer anyone. I should like to help everyone if possible. Jew, Gentile, black man, white. We all want to help one another. Human beings are like that. We want to live by each other's happiness, not by each other's misery. We don't want to hate and despise one another. In this world, there's room for everyone, and the good earth is rich and can provide for everyone. The way of life can be free and beautiful, but we have lost the way. Greed has poisoned men's souls, has barricaded the world with hate, has goose-stepped us into misery and bloodshed. We have developed speed, but we have shut ourselves in. Machinery that gives abundance has left us in want. Our knowledge has made us cynical, our cleverness hard and unkind. We think too much and feel too little. More than machinery, we need humanity. More than cleverness, we need kindness and gentleness. Without these qualities, life will be violent and all will be lost. The aeroplane and the radio have brought us closer together. The very nature of these inventions cries out for the goodness in men, cries out for universal brotherhood, for the unity of us all. Even now, my voice is reaching millions throughout the world, millions of despairing men, women, and little children, victims of a system that makes men torture and imprison innocent people. To those who can hear me, I say, do not despair. The misery that is now upon us is but the passing of greed. The bitterness of men who fear the way of human progress. The hate of men will pass and dictators die. And the power they took from the people will return to the people. And so long as men die, liberty will never perish. Soldiers, don't give yourselves to brutes. 
Men who despise you, enslave you, who regiment your lives, tell you what to do, what to think, and what to feel, who drill you, diet you, treat you like cattle, use you as cannon fodder. Don't give yourselves to these unnatural men, machine men with machine minds and machine hearts. You are not machines. You are not cattle. You are men. You have the love of humanity in your hearts. You don't hate. Only the unloved hate, the unloved and the unnatural. Soldiers, don't fight for slavery, fight for liberty. In the 17th chapter of St. Luke it is written, the kingdom of God is within man, not one man nor a group of men, but in all men, in you. You, the people, have the power. The power to create machines, the power to create happiness. You, the people, have the power to make this life free and beautiful, to make this life a wonderful adventure. Then in the name of democracy, let us use that power. Let us all unite. Let us fight for a new world, a decent world, that will give men a chance to work, that will give youth a future and old age a security. By the promise of these things, brutes have risen to power, but they lie. They do not fulfill that promise. They never will. Dictators free themselves, but they enslave the people. Now let us fight to fulfill that promise. Let us fight to free the world, to do away with national barriers, to do away with greed, with hate and intolerance. Let us fight for a world of reason, a world where science and progress will lead to all men's happiness. Soldiers, in the name of democracy, let us all unite!
This section of the 1940 mix is a sound collage of original broadcasts and recordings from 1940. The spoken word sections largely concern the war. The music is mainly stereo recordings made by Leopold Stotowski for the movie Fantasia. This is a departure from the largely music-centric format you may be used to. If you enjoy this, please consider becoming a supporter at patreon.com slash centuriesofsound. The regular tier for mixed downloads is just $5 per month. If you can't join, then why not share this audio collage with someone who may be interested? I produce Centuries of Sound on my own in my spare time, and the more support I have, the more time I can dedicate to it. Thanks for listening. <laughs>